teaching in the book of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in John chapter 8, and we were dealing with the issue of Jesus in the court of the women during the lighting of the candelabra, in which Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of the world. And if you recall, now we skipped the part in John 8 dealing with the adulterous woman because it is not in the best of Greek text. Go back and look at the previous video that we did, and I'll give some explanation about all of that. But so we skipped that particular section and we ended up moving to the uh, finishing. We're not quite done yet, but we are drawing near the end of the celebration of the Feast of Booths, also called the Feast of Tabernacles. But in last uh, in the last video, we basically dealt with the issue of the lighting of the candles to which Jesus made that great proclamation of being the light of the world. And then that ensued with the self-declaration of Jesus, that is, his another I am statements. And now, of course, and let me slow it down because I'm a, I'm a little apprehensive because I want to complete this chapter in this particular video. And this chapter is so long. But another one of Jesus's I am statements that he gives and we recall and you'll see it again later on in the teaching of this in this section Exodus 3 and 14 Isaiah 41 Isaiah 43 and holistically Isaiah chapter 40 through 45 and this is God's declaration of himself the great I am statements of God these are the ones that Jesus is referencing as to himself. So Jesus is declaring himself to be God in the same manner in which it is written in those verses that I just told you about. But anyway, so all of this came from that particular statement in the bearing of the light, Jesus being the light, I'm sorry, and those references to himself. And we ended the video when Jesus made the statement concerning, or should I even say, saying that unless except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And this was a very profound statement. And once again, referencing back to the previous video, unless you believe that I am, that is, I am God. One of those I am statements referencing back to the self-declaration of God himself. And Jesus ties on that reference to himself saying to the people, except the people believe in the person of who he is. That is, in this instance, son of God, son of God. This is always a reference to what, guys? A reference to his deity. So unless the people believe that he is God, son of man, God in the flesh, they would die in their sins. Why? Only God can save. Only God can provide salvation from sin. But how does God provide this salvation from sin? Through his death on the cross. So you have both what? The idea of son of God, he who provides salvation, and son of man, the way that he attained salvation, that is, through his death on the cross by his shed blood. So unless the people should accept and believe in the person of Jesus in both of these voices, son of God, son of man, they would die in their sins. There is no salvation for them. So this became a very profound statement that Jesus made to them. Okay, so that's enough of the review. 
Let's go ahead on and continue in John and see if we can bring this chapter to a close. Again, it is quite lengthy, so I may not spend a lot of time on, I don't want to say unnecessary details, but on things that are not so much as germane to the main driving point of what Jesus is trying to say. But let's see if we can finish the chapter. Okay. All right. So we stopped at verse number 24. The issue is you will die in your sins, except you believe that Jesus is, bottom line, God. Okay. This struck the people. 25. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe him. Okay. All right. So again, as we were just saying, what that statement about dying in their sins really was a shocker to the people. And again, we want to recall what is always this, this push and pull with Jesus about his origins and about just who he is claiming to be. And that becomes one of the primary issues of the gospel. Who do you think that Jesus is? Or even as Jesus would say, as is recorded in the book of Matthew, to his disciples, who do men say that I am? But most importantly, who do you say that I am? So all of this is predicated upon the person of Jesus. Do you believe in what he says about himself? And remember, we are in the gospel of John and the whole premise for the gospel of John. He sets it in verse number one and verse number 14. And that's in chapter one, one and one, one and 14 and verse number 18, that Jesus indeed is God and God, second person of the Trinity became flesh and he revealed, he exegeted he explained God the Father to us. Okay, but anyway, so what? The people began to ask him once again because Jesus simply said that statement about them dying in their sins. It says, who are you? And Jesus said, I have been telling you the same thing over and over and over. But the problem is the people are dull of hearing and they are not receiving his words simply because they reject him. And not only just simply in their rejection of him, that is the hardness of their heart, but also to their implies something else. And remember, if you can recall our teacher from John chapter six, verses what, 36 through 41, the whole point is they are not of the father. They are not given of the father, but we're not going to rehash all of this thing. Let's just stay right here where we are. 
So Jesus simply says, I have told you who I was, and there are a number of things that I would like to continue to tell you. There are a number of things that I would like to continue to share with you, even it says here to judge with you. That is speaking of revelation, ongoing revelation that he would desire to give unto them, but they cannot at this time receive the revelation he is giving to them now. The things that he is saying about himself. They find it difficult to believe, so therefore he cannot give them further information. Why? You must believe the things that I'm saying to you now. They are foundational, and these things Jesus is speaking about himself. If they cannot believe the foundational statements that Jesus is making about himself, he is saying here, he cannot give them further revelation about nothing else, nothing else, because it must build on the foundation, the foundation of faith in who he is and who he claims to be. That is the great I am, the son of God. But anyway, so that's what he is saying. Bottom line, they were blinded. What does verse number 27 say? They did not realize that Jesus was talking about the father, the father in heaven, because once again, they keep asking Jesus, who are you? Who, what is your origin? Who is your father? And Jesus has been maintaining all along in this great dialogue that God was his father and that he was sent from God and that he spoke the words of God. But nevertheless, the people in their spiritual confusion did not truly understand neither him nor the fact that he was relating that God was his specific father in these continuing conversations that we're having here, okay? But Jesus says what? There will come a time when some will truly begin to understand his words. That's in verse number 28. Notice the terminology. When you lift up the son of man. Now notice, remember I've told you, if you've been watching these videos, especially in the study of John's gospel. Remember I told you to always watch how Jesus references, reference, reference, <laughs> makes a reference to himself in the gospel of John, son of God and son of man. And you have to always note the distinctions. Son of God is a reference to his deity, that he is God. Son of man is a reference to his humanity, that he is a human being. He has flesh and blood just like we do. Okay. And whenever you see these particular references used by Jesus, then take notice to what he is saying in these things. And you'll understand why he used that particular reference. Notice what he says. When you have lifted up the son of man, clearly he is speaking to his crucifixion, that future, and it's not going to be too much longer, future crucifixion that he will undergo. And since he is speaking of a death, he uses the term for himself, son of man. Why? As son of God, the divine being, he does not die. But as son of man, one who does come in human flesh to give his life, he can die. And so therefore he uses this particular title, son of man. Again, just just let it all come together in your mind about the person of Jesus. That's why we keep saying it over and over again. 
you must believe two things about Jesus. What? He is son of God. That is the I am. Exodus 3 and 14, Isaiah 40 through 45, 41, 43, especially. You must believe that he is the great I am. That is God. And you must also believe he is son of man, human being, one who gives his life, sheds his blood on the cross for the remission of sin. If you do not believe these things, you cannot be saved. And that's a reference even back to where we stopped in the previous video. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. But anyway, so the whole point of it is the people are not understanding that Jesus is speaking of himself, what he's saying about himself, and that he is relating to God as his own father. But Jesus in verse number 28 says, there is coming a time when you will indeed understand what I am saying when I am, or should I even say after I am crucified. And that whole instance of being crucified speaks of Jesus's crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, and the coming of the Holy Spirit who enlightens what all of these things that Jesus underwent means. All of the things that Jesus spoke to them meant. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to bring not just simply to remember so they'll remember the words of Jesus, but that they would understand what those words truly meant and who he truly is, okay? So Jesus simply gives reference here, verse number 28, let's bring it to a close on this part, that after his crucifixion, and now Jesus is not saying everybody will come to know him as the I am, because remember, that's the whole point of everything. Except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am God. I am the son of God and also son of man, one who gives his life uh, for, for sin. But after this is completed, some of you will begin to understand just who I am, those principles that was just set forth, okay? And that whatever he was saying and whatever he was doing, he didn't do it simply in a self-serving manner. He did it because God the Father, the one who sent him, had commanded him to do and say these things. And therefore, even with a reference, a, 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 a looking forward to the cross, notice what he says, he is never alone. So, even though we do under, and I don't want to get into that now. We'll just simply wait until we get into the crucifixion. But nevertheless, the father will never leave him. Okay. Even in the crucifixion. Why? Because the very crucifixion, which was the ultimate act of obedience, the crucifixion, the self allowance of his crucifixion, was the ultimate act of obedience for this is the reason. Remember what the book of Hebrews says uh, for, for blood of bulls and goats did not take away sins. It cannot take away sins, but what low I come in the volume of the book that is written of me, low I come to do what your will, O God, to shed my blood on the cross of Calvary. So therefore the ultimate act of Jesus's obedience was his giving of his life on the cross. And so as he was speaking these things, because remember, we're still at the Feast of Booze. We're coming to the close of the Feast of Booze, even though the text is still long. But what was beginning to happen? 
some of those Jews in that audience were beginning to believe in him. Some light, some sense of perception was beginning to happen to them and they were beginning to believe his words, okay? And remember the whole idea of believing in him, believing in what he was saying about himself. What? Son of God, son of man. Or even in this direct context here, that he is the I am, all right? Let's continue. So verse number 31, as we are leaving that, we're continuing, I'm sorry, the idea of some who are coming to believe. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, so now... Jesus being cognizant, he, he's aware that some of those in the audience of the people that he's speaking to are beginning to believe. And so Jesus gives them words of encouragement and simply says to them, if you continue in my word, truly you become disciples of mine. That is to continue to follow him, continue to believe in him, even throughout and up to the crucifixion, you still maintain and hold your faith in Jesus and what he has been saying about himself. And as you hold to what Jesus is saying about himself, you will come to know the truth. That is the truth, not only, not only the truth of what he has been saying, but let's unpack what he has been saying. Remember once again, and I don't want to be impatient, but I want to just drill it to you so that you'll re remain in the context of the conversations that Jesus is having with the people. These conversations are of self-declaration. What? That he comes from the Father. That he is what? Title representation. Son of God. He is the divine one. He is God sent from heaven. And he is what? Son of man. He is a human being. He is God who has taken the body of a man. And that is Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. And he is the one who gives his life. This is the truth of it all. God takes the form of man so that he can give his life a ransom for sin. This is the truth. And in knowing that truth, what truth? That truth about who Jesus is, it sets you free. It sets you free from sin. But anyway, the whole point Jesus simply saying is, it sets you free. So when Jesus made the statement about being set free, this caused the people to respond and simply says, how are you going to talk about you're going to set us free? We have never been enslaved to any man. We're Abraham's descendant. Now, why they said that particular statement, I have no idea. Their history 
is littered from the time that they became a nation to being enslaved or being incumbent upon by one nation after another. Even at present tense, when they were speaking to Jesus, they were under the dominion of the Romans. So I, I, don't, I have no idea what they meant when they said we were never enslaved. They have been enslaved a number of times. They're not presently per se enslaved by Rome, but they're still under the Roman Roman dominion, but they have experienced enslavement by the Philistines and other nations throughout their history. But they considered themselves to be as children of Abraham to be free men. And so therefore they found it repugnant for Jesus to simply say that they were slaves. And so Jesus continued to answer. He enlightened them on what he meant when he said that they would be set free because they were slaves. So here comes another one of those, amen, amen, truly, truly statements. And remember what we said concerning the truly, truly statements. You want to always pay close attention to when Jesus says truly, truly, because he is saying something to them of uttermost importance, uttermost importance with the truly, truly. So what does he say? Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Their master is not some uh, an individual, a person to whom they are enslaved to or a group of people or a nation that they are enslaved to. What they are enslaved to is sin. And so therefore, Jesus says it is sin that has you bound and sin to the which you are enslaved. And then again, he starts beginning to set principles. But remember, Jesus whole point is that you will be made free. You have to continue with him. You have to continue to believe in his word in the passage of time. Or even we can even say this. With Jesus, remember, when you lift up the son of man, when you crucify me, it is at that point, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It is at that point that sin is answered for. It is at that point that sin no longer will have dominion over them. But in order for them to be set free from the dominion of sin to the which they are bound at this time, in order to be set free, you must believe that Jesus is the one who sets you free. You have to continue. If you continue in my words, what words of who I say that I am, son of God, power to save, son of man, the one who does the act of salvation by giving my body on that cross, you are set free. Okay. But anyway, so let's go on. So Jesus continues to, uh, elucidate, to enlighten them concerning their slavery about being enslaved to sin. When he says that, what the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains in the house forever. So he gives them examples. He speaks to them in such a way that they can understand it. They understood the difference between the son of the father. Remember the son in the Jewish custom of the first century, the son has the power and exercises the authority of the father. The son has the power and exercises the authority of 
the father, okay? But the slave has no authority and has no power, but is subject. Now, Jesus has already declared what such a slave, that they are slaves and what they, to whom they are subjected to, that is to sin. And in this whole issue of being a house. So what? The son is the one indeed who is free because the son is of the father and the son is free, of course, by nature. Son is free by nature. The son has authority and the son has authority even over the slave. But the slave has no authority and the slave is in bondage. So therefore, what? If the son shall set you free, you are free Indeed. So therefore, we understand Jesus is making reference as the son to himself. So therefore, Jesus is not so much talking about his declaration in making or should I even say setting them free, but in what he does to set them free. If the son shall set you free, you are free indeed. Let's con let's continue with the parabolic discussion. So if the son, the one who has authority in the house, declares the slave to be free, then since the son has the authority of the father, the slave is now free. OK. And once again, the slave is in bondage to sin. But Jesus is not so much talking about the declaration of his mouth, but by the doing of his act. What? By his giving his life again. All in context. What did he say? When you lift up the son of man. So we're still in the issue of the crucifixion, right? And in this act, what happens? They are then set free. Set free, why? Because of what Jesus has done in giving his life on the cross. So therefore, they are then set free. Uh, let's finish this section. So, uh, so if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. That is by what Jesus does, they would truly be free and free from what? Free from the bondage of sin and free from the power of sin. They will find themselves being free from the bondage of sin in that Jesus pays the price for sin on the cross. That's why it's so necessary for what? If you continue in my words, you have to believe the full revelation of me, son of God, power to save. Son of man, one who gives his life to, life for your sins. If you continue in these words, you will be set free in believing who I am, who I said that I am. OK, and in doing what I will do for you, I will set you free from the bondage of sin through my death on the cross and the ensuing power of sin. That is the sinful nature that we all have. And this comes later on, we understanding, as Paul speaks of it in Romans 7, Romans 7, Romans 8, by the giving of his Holy Spirit. So he takes us, he breaks the bondage of sin and overcomes the power of sin. Bondage of sin by his death on the cross, the power of sin by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to live above our sinful nature. Okay. Verse number 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. 
Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Okay, now let me just stop here and deal with this because there's a little Greek stuff we need to deal with. But anyway, so Jesus is continuing on. And he said, remember, the people are saying, we are Abraham descendant, never been enslaved. Jesus just proved to them, yes, indeed, Abraham descendants, you may be, but he's going to talk about that even more so, whether or not they are truly Abraham's descendants. But uh, Abraham descendant, they may be, but nevertheless, they are bound by sin and only he can set them free from sin. And the proof that they are bound by sin, that they are enslaved to sin, you seek to kill me. The whole idea of killing is what? It's sinful. And Jesus simply saying, that's what you are seeking to do. And the reason for this is my word has no place in you. That's in other words, they are not believing what Jesus is saying, namely about himself and about his person. Then he says he speaks the things which he has seen with the father. Now, let me deal with this thing. He speaks the things that he sees with the father. The things that Jesus is speaking, they originate from the father. So as the father has spoken to Jesus, Jesus is speaking to the people. But what I want to deal with here is when he says, I speak the things which I've seen with my father. The word here is para. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of Greek, but basically para and uh, uh, toy patri, that is in the dative case. Okay, I don't want to get into all of the grammar, but the point is, I speak the things that I've seen with my father. It's speaking of having a relationship of proximity, okay? I speak the things, that, that's why, notice, they, tra they translated it beautifully, he did not say the things which I've seen from my father. That is simply originating from the father. It's more than just simply originating from the father, the words that he is, he is speaking, but him having proximity to the father. Once again, we can understand going back to John 1 and 1. Remember what it says? In the beginning was the word and what? The word was with God. The word was what? With, that is proximity, dwelling alongside in the presence of the word was with God. But what? How, and the, how can the word be in the beginning from all eternity past dwelling with God? Because by nature, what? The word was God. And so therefore, as Jesus simply saying here, I, I speak the thing that I said. I have seen with the father. He is simply saying such a word that he is speaking. He got this particular word as he himself was dwelling alongside the father. Again, intimating what? His divine origin. And if Jesus is has an origin with the father, what is he saying about himself? No one has eternality by nature except God alone. In other words, no one has existed for all eternity. God himself exists for all eternity, but God alone. So if Jesus is existing with God and receiving such revelation from God, because he himself is God, but receiving such revelation from God, he is now intimating something about his person once again. He is God. But anyway, the, the instance, or, or should I say the, 
what Jesus is beginning to emphasize is that the things he's speaking comes from his father. And here you see where it says my father in the Greek, it does not say my father. It says the father. So it's kind of leaving them. I wouldn't say hanging a little bit, but in their confusion that because they are confused, they are not receiving his words. They are left hanging, not because of Jesus, but because they're just not receiving him. They're rejecting him. But I have seen with the father, that's the actual text. And therefore also the things which you heard from the father. So in both cases, notice that's why you'll see notation. If you have a modern Bible, you'll see your is italicized. When a word is italicized, it means that it is not in the Greek text and the translators are supplying this to help you understand. So this is a bit of a bit of interpretation because what your is not in the text. So Jesus simply saying he's speaking the thing that he's heard from the father and they are doing the things that they heard from the father. So there is a distinction being made, but Jesus is not making the distinction in words, his father and their father. This will come next because the people here are kind of confused about this issue of the father. What? 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, the deeds of Abraham, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Okay, now let's talk about this before we get too far. So again, notice the, that they don't understand that Jesus is speaking not of God as being the father of them, and they are not even understanding Jesus speaking of the father God concerning himself. So they just really kind of messed up spiritually. They are not attuned to what Jesus is simply saying. So what happened? They answered. Jesus says, Abraham is our father. So they're thinking of physical descendancy, physical descendancy. Abraham is our father. And so Jesus simply says, if you were indeed the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. In other words, Jesus began to give some insight to what it means to really be. And we can kind of see that with Paul, and I'm not going to get into that. But let me just lay this foundation for you. Paul speaks of the same thing in Romans 9 through 11. Romans chapters 9 through 11 about who is indeed a, ch a child of Abraham because Paul is here justifying the fact that God maintains nothing can separate the believer, the believer from God, the believer from the love of God. This comes from Romans chapter 8 when Paul exalts in God's grace in that nothing can separate a believer from God. But the idea he begins to answer is 
if, as you say, Paul, that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God, what then happened to Israel? Because Israel, in not believing Jesus, Israel is separated from the love of God. And so what Paul does in Romans 9 through 11, those chapters, he, he lets them know that all simply descendants of Abraham, that is physical descendants of Abraham, are not really the descendants of Abraham. But anyway, so without getting into all of that, we can see Jesus laying that foundation. What? He did not deny their physical descendancy from Abraham. Jesus is denying their spiritual descendancy from Abraham because if they were truly of Abraham, they would do the things that Abraham did. They would do the righteous deeds of Abraham because what he said, and it's clear, it becomes clear you are not indeed spiritually the children of Abraham because what? Abraham sought to do that which was righteous. You are seeking to kill me. That's not what Abraham did. But anyway, okay, fine. I just covered all of that. <laughs> and so therefore he says, you are doing not the deeds of your father, Abraham, who you proclaim, you are doing the deeds of your father. And, and, and so again, Jesus has not stated who their father is and they are not understanding their father. And they, and you can see that they become offended when Jesus said that they were not of Abraham. Okay. Remember Jesus is saying spiritually, spiritually, why? Abraham sought to do that which was righteous and pleasing in the sight of God. They are, are seeking to do what? To kill Jesus. This is not pleasing to God and this is not righteousness. And therefore, because of their actions and their ways seeking to kill Jesus, they are proving that they are not the children of Abraham. And so what? The people responds to Jesus with anger and slander. And notice what they say. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. That is the reason why I say slander is because notice we were not born of fornication. So you ask yourself, what does that have to do with anything being born of fornication? The slander is towards Jesus. It is a question about his birth. You know, in other words, allow me to say it this way. You know, we heard that uh, when, when Joseph, your daddy, and remember, they don't understand it, married Mary, she was already pregnant. So are you Joseph's son or whose son are you? Or did Joseph get her pregnant before he married her or, or what? You know, unlike you, and that's the idea, unlike you, we were not born of fornication. So there's a little slight that they're trying to speak towards Jesus. We're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So now they are elevating the statement. In other words, our father indeed is God. So they're speaking of themselves even from a righteous perspective. We have one God and God is our father. All right. So now we're moving. Remember, uh, no, notice how we how we stay in the issue of origin. Who is your father? So the father who is the father of Jesus. And even now what is being challenged is 
even from Jesus. And who is your father? For your father indeed is not Abraham. And as we're going to deal with it, and your father is not even God like you claim. All right. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded from forth and have come from God for I've not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Okay. I read that. So let me talk about it. Their claim was Abraham was their father. Hence God is their father because Abraham's God is the true God. So therefore their father is God. And Jesus is challenging that. And he's challenging that with the negative. No, God is not your father because if Abraham was your father and if God were your father, you would love me because I proceeded forth from God. If indeed, like you say, God is your father, then you would also love me. But clearly Jesus is simply saying, well, you don't love me. And this is proving that God is not your father. Why would you therefore love Jesus? Jesus, Jesus said, why would you love me? Because I proceeded from God. And here, once again, do we have another what? Inference. Jesus, you can't miss it. It's a beautiful thing. The origin. He keeps talking about origin, 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 origin. Who are you? Who is your father? Where do you come from? Again, what does he say? I proceeded from from God. Uh, and we're going to talk about that even more. So that statement would be built on. Remember that as we move through this text coming toward the end, that very point will be built on in order to proceed from God. You have to have a pre-existence. You see me, Jesus would say, as Jesus of Nazareth. All right. A man of a certain age, <laughs> But I'm telling you, I existed before I came into this world. Again, that's the whole premise of John. In the beginning, in the dateless past, when there was no time and nothing else was the word. The word existed and the word existed alongside of God, the father. And the word by his own nature was God. And so therefore we can see that same idea. See, John keeps laying upon evidence upon top of evidence from the mouth of Jesus himself concerning his person. He is God. I proceeded forth from God. And since he himself comes from God, speaking of that one who is sent by God for the purpose of God, speaking of one who has relationship with God, since this is that Jesus coming forth from God by the will of God, if they indeed loved God, if they indeed were the children of God, then what God has sent, what God has sent into the world, they would receive. They would love Jesus. Why? Because he came literally from God. And if he came literally from God and the people truly knew God, had a relationship with God, loved God, if God was indeed their father, then that which came from God, they would receive. 
they would love. And that's why Jesus said, you would love me because I proceeded forth from God. And since you don't love me, it is the evidence God is not your father. And then you will also know what? Everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm saying, it comes from the one who sent me. But you are rejecting me. You are rejecting my words. My words have no place in you because God is not your father. And so here he just simply states for us that foundational principle that Paul uses, Romans 8 through 11, particularly answering in 9 through 11, that those who are Jews are truly Jews who have been called by God the Father. But anyway, we won't venture into that. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Okay, so now Jesus simply goes and says, as if, why don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Now, even though Jesus sets it forth in a question type format, it is not because he is seeking an answer. He is not seeking knowledge of them from them, he just simply setting it forth and saying, you know, you, you just don't understand me, do you? He said, and let me tell you why you do not understand me. And let me tell you why you cannot receive what I am saying. It is because you can't hear my words. It is because of the hardness of your heart that you cannot hear me. It is because you reject what I am saying about myself. You reject who I am, again, what? Son of God, God, son of man, want to give his life on the cross. You are rejecting the testimony that I give even concerning about myself. You cannot hear my words. And why is it that you cannot hear my, as you remember, they kept claiming, remember the whole issue of origin. Abraham is our father. Then it moved to God is our father. That's what the people said. Jesus said, no, no, no. The reason why you find it so difficult to hear me and to accept me is because your father is not God. Indeed, your father is the devil himself. And since you are of the devil, what? You seek to do the deeds of the devil. And that's once again, speaking of what Jesus says, why are you seeking to kill me? If Abraham was your father, you would not seek to kill me. Abraham sought to do that which was right in the sight of God. But no, you are seeking to kill me. And again, God is not your father. And again, you can't hear me because God is not your father. Who is your father? Jesus finally says it in a direct sense. The devil himself. And the proof that the devil is your father is you are seeking to do the will of your father. What is the will of the, what is the people wanting to do? Jesus said, you're seeking to kill me. And what does Jesus now say about the devil? He is a murderer. 
the will of the devil was to seek to destroy Jesus at any cost. And this was also the shared will of his children, those people who did not believe in Jesus. And what about this devil? He was a murderer even from the beginning. Now, it's kind of difficult to understand what Jesus meant from the beginning. Uh, one, to murder, whether uh, 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 he speaks of actually the taking of life. I don't think Jesus is speaking of the literal taking of life. But what he's speaking of is through his actions, he causes death. And then we're going to talk about the death of, of more about that as we move through this text. So just hold that. Uh, put that on pause right now. We're going to talk about death. OK, later on. But the idea is he is not so much speaking of the the physical death. He is speaking of spiritual death. And remember, Spiritual death is one that causes separation with God. One, death. Death, as defined in scripture, for the most part, ultimately speaks of separation from God, whether in life or whether after life ceases to be in the body for all eternity eternal death or eternal separation from God. We'll talk about that as we move through the text at, the, at, the, at a better time than this one. But he's talking about Satan being a murderer. So whether one from eternity, not see eternity past, but a long, long, long time ago, even that uh, pre-existed Adam, remember Satan's rebellion? Satan's rebellion came before the creation of mankind. So whether he's speaking of him being a murderer, one who causes separation from God at that time between the angels, one third of the angels that rebelled alongside of him. Revelation chapter 12 in that rebellion against God or whether Jesus is speaking of the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter three. And what was the end result? God said to Adam, if you disobey me, you will surely die. Adam disobeyed, it brought forth death. And it was Satan who was responsible for that one. So whether he's speaking of way in the past with the angels or in the time of Adam, it's still basically the same idea. He was a murderer. He brought forth death. He brought forth that separation from God. He brought forth separation from God with the angels. He brought forth a separation from God with Adam. Adam was cast out the garden of Eden and even ultimately physical death. Satan was responsible for all of these things. Okay. Murderer from the beginning. And then again, he does not stand in the truth. He is a liar and the father of lies. He is the one who is a deceiver. Same thing can be applied. One to deceive the angels in times past, or even the one who deceived Eve and convincing her to eat of the forbidden fruit by the which she convinced her husband to eat as well. He is a liar. He lied then with the angels. He lied then with Adam, hath God indeed said you will surely die? No, you won't surely die, but you will become like God's. He is a what? A liar and there is no truth in him. He is the father of lies. 
He is the first liar. He is the one who began all lies and deceit. The very first lie ever told in the created universe was told by Satan himself. Enough of that. A lie and the father of lies. But Jesus then contrasts himself against Satan. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe. Again, once again, the two different fathers. Jesus stating that God the father is indeed his father and Satan is indeed the people's. There, these unbelieving Jews. Satan himself is their father. And since God is true, Jesus being the son of God coming from God, he speaks the truth. But what? The people are not believing Jesus's words. Why? Because God is not their father. Satan is their father. And he is one, a father of lies. So they don't believe Jesus because they don't share the same spiritual father. 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, if I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now that's as point blank in your face as you can make the statement. So Jesus simply said, now I like verse number 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? Okay, calming down and trying to slow down. Do you understand how powerful that question and statement was that Jesus presented to the people? It was like almost a dare as Jesus speaks to the people and says, which one of you can say that I have ever sinned? That's an amazing statement that only he could make. None of us. And I mean, when I say none of us, none of us can ever dare say that statement to people who knows us, who is more and the more intimately acquainted they are with us, the more they can say, oh, yeah, you have done many things wrong. And I can say so myself. And Jesus sends this statement to the people, a point that speaks of his being truth. Remember, his whole issue is he speaks the truth as one who is sent from the father as words he has heard from the father. And in this character statement of his, which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus sets a dare to them. Is there anybody can ever say I have sin? So what all he's doing here is he is buttressing. He is strengthening his statement that he speaks the truth. One who even they themselves can say he has never sinned. But anyway, again, he says, he who hears, he who is of God, hears the words of God. The whole statement of origin again, the people, we are Abraham's children. Then again, they elevated and says, we are of God. God is our father. Jesus simply sets it down, point blank statement. For this reason, you don't hear my word because what? God is not your father. You are not of God. You have been claiming being of Abraham. But guess what? 
You don't do the righteous deeds of Abraham. You know what you actually do? You're seeking to kill me. You are seeking to do the will of your father. Your father is the devil. And the reason that you are not listening to me, that you cannot hear me, that you do not believe me, believe the things that I am saying about me, that I am, that I come from God. You don't believe that I am the son of God. You don't believe that I am the son of man. All these words of mine, you are rejecting simply because you are not of God. For if spiritually you were the children of Abraham, the children of God, you would be able to do the works of Abraham. You would hear the words of God. But clearly you are demonstrating like you think that you are children of Abraham, children of God. I say to you, you ain't God's children. <laughs> the Jews respond. Verse number 48. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Okay, so let's deal with that because we've got some powerful stuff coming. All right, so the people were offended when Jesus simply says, you are not Abraham's children and you are not the children of God. God is not your father. Why? Because you would receive me. You would love me. You would hear me. So they answered Jesus angrily. And you can see that. Did we not rightly say that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Now, here's the issue. When they use the term Samaritan, they are not giving reference to a racial slur. Okay. Remember like the woman at the well, John chapter four, when the woman said Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And I explained all of that. Go back and check out uh, the video in chapter four about the uh, uh, stigma that was between the Samaritans and the Jews, the racial stigma and the reasons and the background behind all of that. OK, so there was an issue with Samaritans and Jews, but here they are not using a racial slur as we would uh, consider it today. Kind of like the N word, so to speak, that's we would call it today. That's not what they're saying when they say Samaritan, but what they are dealing with this word also. And there is a tie because it is a slur, but not so much as a racial slur, but comes from. Shamroni. Now, Shamroni basically is considered as the prince of demons. All right. The prince or father of demons. So when they're calling Jesus a Samaritans, they're giving reference to Shamroni. That is, you are of the prince of the demons and you yourself is you are inhabited by a demon. Notice you are a Samaritan, Shamroni, and you yourself are demon possessed. You have a demon. And this became the come. Remember, first of all, this came from the Pharisees. Remember back in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees who had already made up their minds to reject Jesus as a Messiah. They had to try to explain how Jesus was able to do the miraculous things that he was doing. If he was not from God, then how could he do all the miraculous things that he did? 
So the Pharisees said, you did this because you are inhabited by a demon, even Beelzebub, the prince of demons. You are demon possessed and therefore you are empowered to do the things that you did. And this would later on become the reason that the Pharisees would give about Jesus, how he was able to do the miraculous things because Jesus was demon possessed. This also was something that the Pharisees tried to convince the people concerning Jesus when the people themselves would be uh, uh, amazed because of what Jesus had done. The Pharisee would say, he got a demon. That's why he's got a demon. That's why. So we can see that this had began to make great inroads. The people were believing that which the Pharisees were saying. So what in this thing that Jesus said that God was not their father, the people slashed back at Jesus and simply said, so if God ain't our father, we also said, what? You got a demon. So when they said he was a Samaritan and had a demon, it is not a racial slur using the term Samaritan. It is a reference to Shamrani, the demon, the prince God of the demons. And that's why they say you have a Samaritan and have a demon. Why? Look at verse number 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. Notice Jesus did not speak to the racial slur because they were not trying to use the racial slur as a Samaritan. They were using the slur as to Shamrani, the demon. Okay. So Jesus simply says that he doesn't have a demon like the people are saying. Remember, you're walking on dangerous ground when you say that Jesus have a demon. Go back to Matthew chapter 12. This was the unpardonable sin. Uh, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and yet you dishonor me. And he continues to simply say in all the things that he is saying and what he is doing, he is not trying to seek his own glory, but instead the father is the one who is glorifying Jesus through what he is saying, through what he is doing. And the people by calling Jesus or even saying that Jesus is demon possessed, you're dishonoring him. So the father is honoring and glorifying Jesus, but the people in saying an awful slur by calling Jesus demon possessed, even in anger, the people are dishonoring Jesus. Okay. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father, Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glorify, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. <laughs> oh my God, he hidden. But I do know him and keep his word. Now let's talk about this particular section. A lot to be said. And now we're moving to the climax of this occasion at the end of the Feast of Boo. Here is the climax to this section that we're moving into. Again, notice that what? 
Truly, truly, what do we always say? Always pay attention when Jesus says truly, truly, because he's about to say something that is extremely important. Remember, the people are rejecting Jesus. They are rejecting what he said. Because remember, as we entered into this section, he said to those who were believing in him, if you keep my word, if you remain in my word. OK, so you have to stick with that particular context. Truly, truly, what? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, Jesus is not talking about physical death, but Jesus is speaking of what he's always been talking about, spiritual death, even so much as to having eternal life. Okay, and that's how we have to understand death. Again, what we were talking about earlier with the instance and the meaning of death. All right, so let me just simply take a pause here and give you the biblical definitions of death. The biblical definitions of death are three. There is, spirit, there is physical death. That is, as James simply says, when the spirit departs from the body, it dies. The body dies. That is the physical death, one that was spoken to Adam because of his disobedience. You will surely die if you disobey me. That is the physical death, okay? Death also means, that's the first definition. Second definition, spiritual death. That is, every person that is born after Adam, because of Adam's sin, is born spiritually dead, unable to respond to God. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that theology, but the simple idea of spiritual death is separated from God because of sin. That's Paul's teaching in Romans chapter five. All right. Spiritual death. And even now, people, mankind, speaking in generic sense, is spiritually dead, separated from God because of sin. Then there is eternal death, which is the spiritual separation from God. Okay, let me go back. The second definition, spiritually dead, even though you are alive in the body, you are still spiritually dead. When Paul speaks again, being spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. Okay, so that completes definition number two. Definition number three now. This is eternal death. That is Revelation chapter 20. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, even though it is talking about death, it, is not, it does not mean to cease to exist. It means to be eternally separated from God. Why? Because they were resurrected into immortality. They were resurrected into immortality for the sake of suffering away from the presence of God for all eternity. So with that, we have our three definitions. One, to be physically dead. When the human spirit separates from the body, the body is dead. Number two, to experience spiritual death even while alive. That is to be dead in sin and trespasses. Number three, eternal death. That is to be in a resurrected form, resurrected body, eternally cast away from the presence of God. So the basic 
foundational meaning of death does not mean, not mean to cease to exist. Why? For even in the body, if the spirit leaves the body, the soul continues on. Luke chapter 16, whether the soul is in hell, that is for the wicked, remember the rich man, or whether the soul is with God. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter one, whether the, for to die is to be with Christ. So whether the soul is with God or the soul is in hell, even though the body ceases to exist, life continues on. There is simply a separation from the body or even definition number two, whether one is alive and is separated from God or definition number three, whether one is eternally in resurrected form, cast into the lake of fire, eternally separated from God. So the idea and definition biblically of death simply is to be separation, to experience a separation. And Jesus here, as he speaks of tasting of death, he is not speaking of being separated from the body, but he is using the fullness of that definition to be spiritually separated from God, to be spiritually separated from God. And we know without getting to all of the theology behind all of that, ultimately, those who are of God, those who believe in Jesus, having a relationship with God, will receive eternal bodies, eternal bodies to forever be in the presence of God. They will never experience death. So they will be with God in one form or another. But ultimately, what ultimately looking to the restoration of the body, that is resurrection, to be in the presence of God forever. But anyway, so let's go back. So again, that truly, truly statement is here. If anyone keeps my word, what have I been saying about myself? Son of God, I am God. What? Who has come in flesh, son of man, to give my life on the cross when you lift up the son of man. You have to keep believing in me and you have to believe my words. And if you have faith, faith in me, faith produces salvation, faith in who Jesus says that he is. This faith, for if you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord God, divine. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. He had a human body that had to die for the price of sin, to pay for sin. What? You will be saved. You will have life. You will never taste of death. That's what he's saying. Anyone keeps my word, believe he will never see death. And when he says never, he says, may, may." he uses the double negative in Greek. That's why they translated never. He uses the double negative to give absolute emphasis, not, not death. He will see Never see death and under no circumstances such a one will see death. And once again, Jesus speaking ultimately what to spiritual life, 
leading ultimately to what? Resurrection in the presence of God the Father. This is what you will experience, but the death of separation, never you will see. Never in this life and never in the life to come. You will not experience this. But remember, the people are always set in a natural mindset, which sets the rest of sets the stage for the rest of this conversation. But anyway, so when Jesus said that, that you'll never see death, people, of course, not understanding the spiritual import of his words, they begin to jest him even further. Did we say we just said that you were Shamrani, a Samaritan and had a demon? Of a sure, you got a demon. You are crazy. And that's what they're saying here. But notice they're laying the, 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 the point of Jesus being crazy to simply saying he's a, uh, he got a demon. That's why he's saying all of these things. Jesus had been saying what? He is of God. He comes from the Father. And the people are laying a sharp contrast to what Jesus is saying. You ain't from God. You from the devil, the devil, you accusing us saying that he is our father. So you can see the angry retort that the people are making to Jesus. But they continued on in saying that Abraham died in the prophets. Now they're bringing someone in. Great. Remember, they once said Abraham was their father. OK, but they're bringing in also the idea of the righteous ones. Abraham, great father of righteousness. And the prophets, the one who spoke from God, the father, they indeed themselves are also righteous. Notice what he said, Abraham died and the prophets died. And now you say, if anyone keep my word, he will never taste of death. How in the world, Jesus, can you say that keeping your word will prevent death when you have righteous men like Abraham experience death? The prophets, righteous men, experience death. And here you want us to believe that in hearing, believing, and keeping what you have to say, what you say about yourself, what you say about your origin, what you say about what you will accomplish, you want us to believe that and in believing that a person will never die? <laughs> that is ridiculous. That's a ludicrous statement. Are you greater than Abraham who died and the prophets who died? You're not greater than these ones, are you? And notice it sets the stage. They themselves, by their own words of comparison, they themselves, by their own words of comparison, are setting the stage for what Jesus will say next. Are you greater than? Are you greater than? Greater than whom? Even Abraham. And Abraham was the great father of the Jews and the prophets great in the mind of the Jews. You're not greater than Abraham is. Who do you make yourself out to be? Or we would simply say it today. Who do you think you are? You ain't greater than Abraham. You surely are not greater than the prophets. So who do you think you are saying that keeping your words can yield, yield eternal life. That is life without seeing death. That's how they're thinking. Life without experiencing death in the flesh. Death in the flesh. But Jesus is speaking of the fullness. That is death by separation. Even ultimately resurrection into the presence of God in physical form forever. Now that's what Jesus is speaking about. They're just simply thinking about ceasing to exist by dying. 
All right. So Jesus continued on finishing this section. He's not trying to glorify himself because they're asking Jesus. Remember they asked Jesus, who do you think that you are? What you're trying to say about yourself? Jesus said, I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. And if I tried to do that, then my glory would really amount to be nothing. But I am being glorified. But it is the Father who will glorify me. It is the Father who glorifies me. Glorifying me now. Glorifying me in the fact that he sent me. That I did what Jesus said earlier proceeded from me, from him. It is the father who glorifies me and it is the father who will glorify me in my death and resurrection. When you lift up the son of man, then you will know what? That I am, that I am, I am God, that I am, and being God, I am glorified. It is the Father who glorified me from the beginning in that he sent me forth from him. It is the Father who will glorify me when you lift me up, you will know that I am. It is the Father. I am not trying to make myself out to be something big or something special to glorify myself. The Father will do that. On my behalf. To whom you say it is your God. Now notice something. Jesus also used in verse number 54. Before we finish this section. My father. Remember earlier now. What is it? John chapter 5 or 6. When Jesus made the statement that God was his father. My father. That terminology. The people wanted to stone him. Because they understand. By calling God his father. He was making himself what? Equal with God. To be equal with God, God equals God. They understood he was making himself out to be God. So Jesus is moving that conversation even more so. Remember he said, he talked earlier, I am. Remember the I am statement, Exodus 3, 3 and 14, Isaiah statements. Remember the I am? Jesus was saying that. You, if you do not believe that, uh, uh, if you do not believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. That is the statement of his divinity. And then once again, Jesus said, "What that I proceed from God? I pre-existed before I even took human form." That is also an inference to what his divinity that he is God. And even now, what my Father again repetition of a statement that he made earlier, making himself equal with God. So the whole concept of his being divine, Jesus keeps hammering that statement and throwing it at them and throwing it at them. But anyway, it is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. Back to the statement of paternity. What? The whole issue of who is your father? Jesus is trying to say, my father or the father for him, God, the father for them, the devil. Abraham is not your father. God is not your father. And so once again, he ends up saying, it is my father who glorifies me. The same one that you just said, what? That he is your God. And the same one that I've been saying to you, he is not your God. He is not your father because what? If he was your God and father, you would love me, but he ain't your God. He ain't your father. Now let's continue. Let's bring it to a close. 56. Remember the people were just saying what? that They were saying they made the comparative statement when Jesus said, if a person believes in his word, he'll never taste of death. 
And the people began to say, wait a minute, you're not greater than Abraham and you're not greater than the prophets. And they all died. So here is that continuation, continuation and the ultimate build of that statement concerning Abraham, the righteous one. All right. So 56, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Beautiful. Now let's end it. So now Jesus continues on. Remember, they talked about the Abraham thing. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than Abraham? Jesus said, well, let me tell you about Abraham to whom you were asking me. Was I greater than he was? Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. That is the idea of Abraham. Considering the seed that God promised him, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Considering that seed, the promised one that would come from the loins of Abraham to bring peace, to bring forth the true inheritance from God. Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to see my day, that idea. He saw my day and was glad. So now notice this. Not only did he look forward to seeing the day, but he saw the day in the seed. He saw that day in the seed and he began to rejoice. So here Jesus begins to state that his inter that he had some sort of interaction with Abraham. And that's the idea. You see, Abraham looking forward to the seed, to the promised one. What has Jesus been saying? I am that one from Abraham. I am that promised one who should come from Abraham, the promised one that would come from the seed of Abraham. And when Abraham interacting with me, he saw my day. And what? By seeing me, seeing me. And seeing my day, not only through the eyes of faith, but through some sense, some sense of experience, he saw it. He saw me and he rejoiced. Notice what he said. So the Jews understood what Jesus was saying. So they said to him, wait a minute. Abraham lived hundreds of years ago. Abraham lived over a thousand years ago and you we're looking at you you're not even 50 years old how can you tell us you have seen abraham you ain't even just, what, man you're 50 years old you can't see Ab this was a thousand years ago you saw abraham and then jesus said again what again notice that statement saints truly truly i say to you and, oh here we go before Abraham was born, I am. Now let's look at that statement. Jesus began to say, verse number 58, 
Truly, truly, amen, amen, let go, humane. Truly, truly, I say to you, preen Abraham, before Abraham, genestai ego amen. Beautiful statement. Again, what do we say about the truly, truly? Whenever Jesus says that, he's about to say something very important. And here, very important about himself. What was the statement? Number one, are you greater than Abraham? That's the first statement. And number two, you're trying to tell us that you were alive to see and interact with Abraham. You were alive over a thousand years ago. And Jesus said, let me tell you something of a truth. Before Abraham, now notice, they were asking, did Jesus see and interact with Abraham? Jesus took the statement back before Abraham, preen Abraham, before Abraham existed, before Abraham, not only did I interact with Abraham, but even before Abraham was born. What? Here's that statement again. Ego a me. I am. Referencing back what? Back to Exodus 3 and 14. Back again, what? Isaiah chapters 40 through 45, especially 41, 43. The I am of God. So Jesus said to them, you're asking, am I greater than Abraham? Because remember, the whole point was it all comes from keeping his word. To keep his word is, to, is never to taste of death. And they're saying, are you greater than Abraham and the prophets who died? So Jesus speaking not only of his existence to speak with Abraham and for Abraham to rejoice, to see him, interact with him and look forward to the day of his reign. Not only did Abraham, we, the, the topic here, Jesus interact with Abraham, but what? Even before Abraham ever existed, what? I am I existed and not only just simply say he existed to deal with the pre-existence, but the titles of God himself. He is once again declaring himself to be God. And watch this now. Are the people understanding Jesus simply to say that he's been alive a long time or do they understand just what Jesus is saying as he makes a self-declaration to be God? I proceeded from God, except you believe that I am God. You will die in your He keeps saying it again and again. What is the bare premise of John? In the beginning was the word, the word with God. Word was God. Word was made flat. He keeps sticking with that. He won't leave that. He doesn't shy away from the declaration that he is God. Did the people understand what Jesus meant when he said before Abraham existed, I am, that he would declare himself to be God? Look at what they did. They picked up stones to throw at him. They, they were thinking in his mind, Jesus, you just blasphemed. Why? To call yourself God is blasphemy. And what is the Jewish penalty for blasphemy? Stoning. So they understood exactly what Jesus meant. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying about himself. He was declaring himself to be the son of God, to be God with power, to have existed even before Abraham existing alongside of God to be 
God himself. They understood it. They understood what he was saying. And so they reacted with anger and revulsion to stone him to death because that's the penalty for any man to make himself out to be God. But why are they acting this way? Like Jesus just said, you cannot hear me because you are not of God. You will not receive my words. You will not believe me. You will not believe the testimony that I'm giving concerning myself. Believe me about who I am, son of God, God from heaven in human form, son of man, one who is exalted by God by being what? Crucified, resurrecting from the dead. You do not accept my testimony, what I'm saying about myself, so therefore you react in this way. In stoning because you do not believe. But I have warned you. I have warned you. What? Except you do believe these things. Except you believe that I am. You will die in your sins. There is no salvation. Once again, what is the point? It builds, it buttresses, it lays a foundation for what we're saying about Jesus. It lays a foundation for what we have been saying about who is saved. What is the requirement? Notice I use the term requirement. There is no choice to believe. Requirement to be saved. You must believe about the two foundational principles of Jesus' declaration. He is God. He is God, son of God. He is man, one who gives his life on the cross, a human being. You must believe both these things and except you believe these things, you will die in your sins. Why? Only God can save. Number two, only God can offer a sacrifice that is acceptable, giving his body. Except you believe these things, you die in your sins and except even now, let me just simply state it. It is incumbent upon every individual to believe these things about Jesus. He never withdrew from these points as we read it in John again and again and again and again. He never pulls back on declaring himself to be God, to be with God, to proceed forth from God. And he never, ever moved away from the sense that he himself must die as an offering for sin. If you do not believe both these facts, all your heart, you cannot be saved. That's why he said once again, let's draw it to a close, that and in believing these things, you will never taste of death. Not that you won't experience physical death, but that ultimately you will never be separated from God because it is Jesus who binds us to God the Father. It is because of his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven to the right hand of the Father. It is because of who he is and what he has done. Jesus has procured a relationship between fallen man and the holy God. And in this and this alone in him, in his person, and in what he has done. That's the only way that a person can be saved. But enough of that. Let's finally break this to a close. And at this, as the people began to, to, to try to stone Jesus, it said Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
This is a supernatural thing that Jesus begins to do. Number one, let's bring, let's bring it back. Remember, we have been said, if you've been watching us and following us in the teachings of John, the people desired to kill Jesus. The temple priests desired to kill Jesus. The soldiers came to arrest Jesus, but Jesus had to die on the time clock of God when God had determined for Jesus to die, which would be the Passover. Jesus had to die in the manner in which God had determined Jesus to die, death on the cross. Jesus had to die by the hands of those by whom he should die, by the chief priests, the rulers of the people, the elders and the Gentiles, Pontius Pilate and the like. So Jesus had to die in the predetermined way. There is and there was no way for Jesus to die apart from these things, apart from the will of God, apart from the divine intent of God. All right. So therefore, Jesus, what he hid himself, there was a supernatural thing that took place. The Bible didn't get into all of the details. And Jesus was able to simply pass through the people who were trying to kill him and exit the temple. And as he passed through the people, they weren't able to stone him like they wanted to. What did Jesus say? You desire to kill me. You desire to do the work of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and he was a liar. And if I speak like you speak, I will be a liar just like you. But I know who I am and the words that I speak are the truth. The words that I heard from him who sent me. I am not like you. I'm not a murderer. But the people intent on doing the deeds of their father, the devil, sought to kill him at that time. And Jesus, knowing it was not the time, the manner, and the place to the which the father had predetermined him to die on that cross, Jesus supernaturally passed through the people and there ended the celebration, if you'll let me say it that way, the feast of booze. He left. All right. Enough of that. I thought that would be not as long as it was, but thanks for joining me, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I truly did. But the one thing that I do want you to see and remember is Jesus over and over again declared himself to be God, which is the very theme of the, book, of the gospel of John. All right, guys, if this lesson, if these teachings that we've been giving you have been a blessing to your heart and you can say, Pastor Lee, I really want to thank you for all that you're doing, that God, God has enabled you to do through the teaching of his word, and you'd like to support me, do so, I ask you. There's a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And for those of you who have already began to support the ministry, I ask you for your continued support. For those who haven't, consider it prayerfully if God would touch your heart to support the ministry. But anyway, thanks for joining me with that. Come with me next time as we move into chapter nine and we, did, we begin to deal with the issue of a man who is born blind. Again, again, John was used this particular miracle, this sign to build upon the foundational statement that only God can do these things. Therefore, since Jesus did them, he must be God. All right, guys, see you next time.